I am Marisa Dima, and this is Mixed Reality in Culture. Today's episode, which will actually spread in probably two or three episodes, will not be an interview, but a virtual panel discussion. We will discuss an important area in the design of mixed reality experiences, how to embed ethics in our design. Design ethics is something that is being constantly discussed, reviewed, not always followed and implemented, often as an afterthought in established technological ecosystems. Uh, today we will discuss ethics by design, the idea of embedding ethical design consideration at the start of whatever experience or ecosystem we create. Not surprisingly, our focus will be the infamous by now concept of the metaverse. And I have to point out here that this is very much a Western-based discussion. Uh, the panelists that I have here with me, we are all working, researching, uh, playing, building, creating in a, in a Western context. And I think this is a very important uh, uh, thing to mention. Now, there have been many definitions of the metaverse. The truth is that no one really exactly knows how it will play out. But how we can define it today is as a global network of spatial information mostly delivered in 3D. It is, if you wish, the next version of the Internet, also called Web 3.0, using spatial computing and spatial web technologies to deliver 3D experiences and real-time synchronous communication. And so you see how mixed reality applications and experiences will be part of it, alongside other uh, sectors like AI and blockchain. It is an exciting development, still at its infancy in terms of design, and as such, it is a fruitful ground to start our conversation. Needless to say that ethics by design is a huge topic and in this discussion we will only have time to cover some ground, focusing it a bit on culture, which is the uh, topic of this podcast. So we will be asking specific questions and I'm sure we won't end with specific answers, but what is important is to contribute to and amplify the ongoing dialogue because it is important that ethics are at the front of, of anything that we create. For this discussion, I have with me two guests, experts in mixed reality design with a strong background in academia and industry. The first one is Dr. Joris Weidum, who was my invitee in the first episode of the second season of this podcast. And to refresh your memory, Joris is a researcher and designer of mixed reality experiences, focusing on interdisciplinary creative processes and performativity. He showcased a site-specific performative MR installation on the Prague Quadrennial 2019, collaborated with Gob Squad for their latest production, and is evolved as a technical dramaturg in many other interdisciplinary projects. He's working at the HKU University of the Arts Utrecht, where he currently leads the Mixed Reality Research Group at the Professorship Performative Processes and teaches several BA and MA courses. As part of his PhD project, Joris researches creative processes in collaborative mixed reality environments in collaboration with the University of Twente. Joris, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. The second panelist is Dr. Vangelis Limpuridis, an expert in immersive virtual reality and augmented reality technologies, whole body interaction design and innovation by design practices, operating at the crossroads of emerging tech, academia and various industry verticals such as healthcare, social enterprise, education and entertainment. Vangelis is part-time faculty at the Viterbi School of Engineering, teaching the AR, VR and Mixed Reality courses at USC Games, a visiting scholar at the School of Cinematic Arts and a senior researcher at the Creative Media and Behavioral Health Center at USC. 
He has produced early award-winning virtual reality works presented at the World Economic Forum in Davos, the Sundance and Tribeca Film Festivals, the V&A Museum in London, Indicad and academic conferences. As the founder of Enosis, he worked with Google and the rock band Queen to produce the Bohemian Rhapsody VR experience, I believe the first uh, virtual reality music uh, video. And most recently, he, has, he was the chief design officer at Applied VR, overseeing a series of medical virtual reality therapeutic products from R&D and design to full productization. Hello, Evangelis. Welcome. Hello, Marisa. Hello, Joris. Uh, really happy being here um, and hopefully uh, add a little bit more clarity in all this uh, mess of the metaverse. <laughs> the third person on the panel is me. Marisa Dima, and it will be the first time actually that I won't be the interviewer in this podcast and probably the first time that I properly introduce myself, I just realized. I am an interaction designer and researcher, having worked for over 15 years in VR and AR R&D projects. Uh, I currently design and research mobile and smart glass AR, predominantly in cultural heritage and also in entertainment and health industries. I am a senior lecturer in creative technology for games at the Brunel University London's Games Design Department, where I I teach digital prototyping, UX for games and games programming, and I also lead the research team. I have a PhD in human-computer interaction from the University of Edinburgh, in which I designed and developed a haptic system to investigate what is lost, transformed, gained and confused in the move from traditional to digital haptically enabled workspaces for stop-motion animators. Perhaps this research might be a little bit handy now as we're moving from, uh, from analog to, uh, to very much digital 3D spaces in the metaverse. The way that we will run this is that each, of, uh, each one of us will give a short uh, presentation of an area related to uh, uh, ethics by design in mixed reality. Uh, as something like a fire starter presentation, we will talk about it uh, for, uh, for, for a bit before moving to the next fire started presentation. And that will take us um, to the end of uh, the session. As I said, this will probably spread uh, in two or three episodes, depending on you know, how long we will take. And I would like to start by inviting Vangelis to give the first fire starter. Thank you, Marisa. Uh, from um, my standpoint, an important question is uh, what actually is ethics? Um, it sounds really deep and vast and wide, but I think there are simple ways of understanding uh, ethics. Um, my personal definition is that ethics is a set of filters that follow the question, I can do something, but should I? So from the, the standpoint of an individual, of a professional, of a, um, um, uh, a expert designer in our case, um, there's definitely um, ways to realize and bring to light things of our imagination as, uh, uh, as humans do, but the, the, the difference in, um, in, <clears throat> in embedding and embodying uh, ethics is that the question, should I? Uh, and that creates a set of filters followed by the personal values, societal values, perspectives that then drive the how to, the why, uh, towards an implementation of something. I think uh, the, the, the personal um, understanding of ethics are very important uh, in our world, uh, giving birth 
the opportunity to everyone to understand that the contribution to an ethical society, an ethical way of being and living and all that is a personal thing that is in direct uh, bidirectional uh, relation with uh, uh, society. The, co the collective personal frameworks of uh, ethics develop the common ones and vice versa. So, um, as uh, these set of filters are being um, developed and defined uh, at a personal societal uh, level, uh, it's important to understand that they, they are driven by values. So, what is the relationship between a value system and an ethical system is something that uh, is a constant uh, transaction, a constant um, uh, fluid uh, transaction that uh, drive us into progressing uh, as societies, progressing through our te technological manifestations and um, developing uh, uh, our futures. Um, since I'm a mention futures, uh, there is no single future. Uh, future is plural by definition. And the problem that I see more and more from uh, the, being at the, at the crossroad of academia and industry, primarily in uh, the hot area of innovation and entrepreneurship, is that we are constantly uh, driven by a single narrative. It's inevitable to get into the era of the metaverse. Uh, inevitable that machines will have intelligence, uh, that this will happen, that will happen. Somehow, uh, everything seems to be driven by a single inevitable uh, narrative. Uh, and my call is all about um, developing a plurality of future narratives, understanding uh, future uh, in its greatest potential, and trying from the a human uh, center standpoint to understand what kind of uh, future should we invent it and how we, we can do it. Therefore, in the design process of um, all this uh, uh, practice uh, and leading back to ethics by design, um, is all this appreciation of the, um, let's say, uh, responsibility, um, personal responsibility, collective responsibility, so towards inventing and delivering uh, something. Uh, there are definitely opportunities and everyone is driven by opportunity, but it's good to understand that every opportunity comes with a strong responsibility. And when the responsibilities and the values and the ethical substrate comes in a, in a um, more defined uh, uh, process in our design and understood and communicated and uh, cross-checked and utilized, uh, I'm more than certain that humans are capable of constantly solving problems, improving their lives, um, and uh, progressing uh, through the technology. So that's from my perspective, um, the core uh, appreciation of ethics by design, especially as it connects with technology, 
and the invention of the, the futures. Um, is that like something similar to um, what I always have in mind, which I'm not sure if it's correct necessarily, but that in every project we need to have a kind of an arts and humanities perspective as well. It's as a similar concept, not, not exactly the same, but um, to look at it from a perspective of um, um, what will be the, uh, the effect that on, on people and like the question of what, uh, sh- should I do it that you mentioned in the beginning, is that connected somehow to that? It's or definitely, is it not? Uh, it's yeah. definitely connected and I will take it a step further is about the core transdisciplinary way of uh, approaching every uh, problem. Uh, there is a tremendous difference between interdisciplinarity, multidisciplinarity, transdisciplinarity. Uh, the fact that you have different uh, individuals representing different domain of knowledge and, uh, um, uh, and practice doesn't mean that you have a, an understanding on how this fusion uh, comes together. Um, it's more important to, to understand the, the, the differences and the, the, the methodologies and the practices around the um, uh, transdisciplinarity, interdisciplinarity, multidisciplinarity, and utilize the, the core of that to solve these problems. So it's, um, within this framework, of course, we have to have humanities in every science-driven uh, project and vice versa. Uh, I don't know if it's the the end of disciplines, but we invested so much time in uh, developing experts of experts in meta experts, experts, that we are now cannot develop a language and a process on how to bridge this expertise Mm. and understand each other and create new ways and methods and practices for solving a problem in a holistic way that is uh, ecologically valid, it's uh, systems driven. It can um, live outside the, the lab, <laughs> outside the, the confined, uh, reduced uh, complexity environment that we commonly solve problems, either in academia or the, the industry. Hmm. It's nice that you mentioned, I, I actually really agree. And I see this actually happening in my practice a lot. Actually, with the start of, of uh, designing mixed reality experiences, you realize that expertise from many different fields is, is essential uh, to, to not project what you know on top of a medium that might potentially be completely different. And I think um, if we expand that to the idea of the metaverse, you cannot not have a monodisciplinary approach to something that is supposed to be almost everything. Uh, and I think that is, that's partly the good news that these, these multiple voices or this polyvocal approach to, to uh, asking questions hopefully uh, uh, will give a wider uh, perspective on, on the decisions and also the ethical decisions that are part of the designing of these spaces uh, due to the fact that there are more people involved with different perspectives to begin with. Um, I, I'm not sure what will happen if one person is made responsible uh, 
for the perspective of ethics. Um, but definitely people from humanities are, are uh, equipped to actually bring in indeed concepts and language, uh, vocabulary, I should say, uh, to, to facilitate that conversation between different disciplines. Because in many discipline or interdisciplinary or trans, that's, that's another maybe discussion, but what, what the difference is and what we mean by that. Uh, but in many projects where I see this happening, a lot of time actually goes into people starting to learn, hopefully, how to understand each other. Uh, to first learn the language uh, uh, in between uh, before you can actually start working together. So um, I would say that is, that is actually one of the, the good things about the metaverse being so uh, meta is that you, you also need many perspectives to, to start talking to each other. And hopefully in that conversation, automatically ethics and ethical issues will will. Uh, come to the surface earlier than if you would have a very particular specialist trying to tackle indeed like these wicked problems or whatever they are they're trying to find a solution for. And I think also from the perspective of design, um, uh, there is a lot of times uh, going into the design uh, as an expert and I have always um, you know, rejected this approach because every time I, I go to a design project as the designer, I always learn and I always, since the, almost the beginning, follow this kind of um, experiential design where you're allowed to learn, like you, you allow yourself to learn from, you know, the team that you collaborate with and also try to learn teamwork as well because, People also say about, oh, we should do interdisciplinary uh, work, but but interdisciplinarity requires a lot of like what they call interpersonal skills and a lot of training as well. It's not it's not easy, especially right. you know where designers we always want to be right, you know, uh, and and a lot of reflection and a lot of learning. So I think whether you're a designer or or not, like like designer like by label, uh, going into these projects, whether it's for you know the metaverse or any other. Um, uh, immersive uh, experience. I think it's it's uh, it's probably useful to go with an open mind to learn, and and keep you know wanting to keep learning. On um, and that's like my second question that I've written down, Vangelis, when you were speaking. Um, doesn't that go also to education? like uh, ethics as, by design as a practice and not only to, to us, but if we're talking about the metaverse as a space that will be open for uh, experimentation by practically anyone who can uh, or have access, that's another discussion we probably might uh, uh, talk about later. Um, don't, don't we need, don't we need uh, everyone to actually have this approach? Otherwise, it might lead to some dystopic <laughs> futures. Absolutely, Marisa. Um, uh, I'll connect first to what you said about the, the design and <clears throat> add to that that uh, a, a nice way of thinking about it is that design is disciplinary. You know, it's like that they, there isn't a discipline of design. You might have expertise in methods of design or processes, design processes and all that, but design requires context to operate. Uh, design for the sake of design doesn't lead anywhere. Um, uh, so thinking of design as a discipline, uh, a disciplinary, needing the different disciplines to fuse and the designer to learn and adapt and solve the, the problem using the tools that they, uh, they know it's, a, I think, a nice way of uh, looking at it. Uh, when it comes to, to education, it's very interesting because um, <clears throat> I think that 
a lot of the the issues that we see today is um, the, the 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 let's say the diversion from the actual fundamentals of humanism. And if you're looking at the Renaissance and how uh, humanism emerged, humanism was around education. Education was the the core uh, of humanism and uh, was represented by uh, educators. Um, And the the point of the the educators wasn't to transform the, the world and uh, it was just to gravitate on the um, uh, asking the question, what is to be human? And putting the human first and then everything else. So uh, you're absolutely right here that um, getting back into the uh, course uh, route of uh, an ethical, inclusive, equitable, uh, whatever value systems uh, we want to inject in Web 3.0, Society 3.0, uh, whatever is our um, common uh, uh, future is going to be, uh, I think it needs to be driven by um, education. I'm curious also how you reflect on the this idea of of the the Renaissance and and uh, the idea that the human, uh, in a way, is at the top of the of the evolutionary chain, because of course mm-hmm. now that we realize we're destroying the planet, um, there's also of course a more like post-human approach where we're saying, okay, maybe we should stop foregrounding ourselves and and looking for different ways of of looking, uh, you know, to to ourselves in relation as a as a living planet, like an ecology. And I'm very curious what that means for something like the metaverse um, and, and how that relates. And just to, to contextualize it a little bit, it seems that the metaverse is almost like this mental space that is nowhere. It's in the cloud. Uh, but of course, it has to be put somewhere. And, and the physical logistics and infrastructure to uphold something like the internet and the metaverse is, gen- is, is consuming huge amount of, of resources uh, to build machines, but also electricity, etc. We recently uh, now have Facebook wanting to build one of the biggest data centers in Europe in the smack middle of the smallest country of Europe, which is the Netherlands. And they're going to use up probably as much green energy that is actually paid by uh, taxpayers in the Netherlands uh, with the size of the city of Amsterdam. And there's now a lot of discussion where suddenly something that seems to be so abstract in this dreamy cloud space where we just can be happy together gets very uh, physical <laughs> and environmental uh, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> form. And, and suddenly the, the, the ethics uh, becomes very pragmatic and very... Um, uh, and the economics of that mm. as well. Mm. And so I was curious how you how you think about this because it, it seems to be uh, interesting to think about it as a construct as a mental construct but of course uh, it has very uh, very clear connections to the the planet and and the world we live in. Absolutely, um, a couple of things here. First of all, uh, uh, back to the 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 human at the core of uh, everything. Uh, one of the first things I uh, teach my students is forget about <clears throat> um, what is represented in the virtual domain and start thinking of the human behind the lenses. I don't care 
about the, the experience that is unfolding as theater. I care about the one that perceives the theater. So um, it's not about the representing a situation in virtual reality or representing an object or give utility or uh, even interactivity in your actions. Is how does it feel? How does it get perceived? Is there meaning there? What does it mean for the person behind the lenses? So I think the, it's interesting to see how human-centered design jointly with humanism can be the core of a technoethical let's say development in a, a forward looking experience economy powered by the technologies that define this abstraction of the, of the metaverse. Um, uh, it's, um, it's definitely provoking even discussing about the metaverse today as a tangible uh, thing uh, because it doesn't exist. There's no definition, there's, no, there's just noise, noise. And we're trying to get the traces of signal uh, in piles of noise and noise that gets amplified for other interests and other narratives that better not go to, to explore right now, uh, especially as it comes to the company meta uh, and what it represents. Um, but you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, uh, we need to go to the fundamentals. If uh, web 3.0 or spatial computing and spatial uh, web uh, gets utilized, uh, it's going to be uh, within the, the uh, limited resources and the, the uh, complex uh, systems already in place. It's not going to come from another universe and suddenly, you know, we're all going to be living in that uh, universe that is driven by uh, um, endless amounts of energy and resources that, you know, we don't care about where they come or what is the impact in our physical uh, life. Perhaps um, uh, we spend so much time in that uh, universe, though, that we don't spend time in the real world, and then we can save some <laughs> of the other energy. Yeah. Again, it, again this topic. <laughs> and it's also a, a, a way of, uh, of thinking that we, we disconnected uh, economy from ecology and understanding that economy, it's an, it's an ecological way, ecologically valid way of living. If economy is driven by exponential profits and an endless pool of energy and resources, because that's the current economic model, and it's looking to constantly expand, the metaverse is driven by these false economic theories where the, the thinking is like, oh, we're starting to realize that resources and economies in the physical world might be actually limited. Therefore, how about a, 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 a constantly expanding multiverse, metaverse, omniverse, something that is not gonna be restricted by the physical um, uh, limitations, which is uncanny by definition. <laughs> Yeah, and it will require that we actually abandon the real world uh, and and just be plugged in, I guess. <laughs> but I I have to I have to sort of make sure that we're on the same page here because mm -hmm. to me um, I'm not so sure if let's put it differently. I had very significant and real encounters with people in social VR platforms, sitting in my chair wearing a headset having real conversations, having real experiences in a space that is digitally generated. 
but but I I experience as very real. So I find it a, a somewhat mm-hmm. complex and problematic to talk about the real world, uh, agreeing on on what exactly what is the real world then, uh, and the metaverse is some sort of escape. Uh, if that would be true, we need to reconsider mediation and mediated experiences at the core, because there's there are so many ways that we interact, including us now, uh, would then not be a real conversation. Um, so, so I find it always problematic to have this 90s or matrix concept of the metaverse where we leave our bodies and disconnect and jack in into this uh, non-existent or non-real world. Um, I, I have very real experiences in, in already in, in 3D generated online platforms. Um, so the question is, uh, what is disconnected and what is reconnected? Uh, to me, also from an environmental point of view, I think it's a very interesting thought that we have more and more distanced ourselves from the ecology that we call our planet. I think that is a very true and poignant and important point that these technologies might have, in a way, created distance uh, of our natural selves or the physical selves or the, the natural ecology or physical ecology that we live in and eat from and, 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 uh, and, and travel through. Um, but I'm not sure if being in digital spaces has is something that is not real. And for that reason, the answer should be is to return to planet Earth and do a lot of walks in the forest, um, which is, by the way, a good, good idea to begin with. But, I, you know, so to me, it's not as black and white. Um, and, and, and also in terms of ethics, uh, what I find also interesting is that in the last two years, I had very large conferences with like thousands of visitors who all went online so did not get into a plane, did not travel half around the world, did not pollute and consume in all sorts of places. Um, that is actually quite environmental friendly. So then the question is, of course, and plus on another level of ethics, suddenly people could connect to these conferences where they normally would not have the money or the resources to actually travel to a physical location. So of course it's the same debate that we already have longer in relation to the internet. Um, but I, I'm curious what you both think a bit on this. Um, yeah, whether the metaverse is something not real versus the disconnect that 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 is also a real a real problem. Uh, for me, things are very simple. They're 24 hours in the day, and metaverse won't make them 25. Uh, so there's one in single reality. There is no question whether the metaverse, virtual reality, augmented reality, whatever we call reality, and at some point technologies are um, uh, having the definition, the, the option of, the, of reality in different virtualities and synthetic uh, things, it's like, it's only going to be one reality. Uh, but the various dimensions and various ways to mediate this reality and the core here that uh, at least I'm interested in is the easy in, easy out. Can I uh, be as a traveler within my 24 hour day getting in and out of these uh, dimensions uh, seamlessly and create meaning in my personal life, solve actual problems in my personal life? Um, I was uh, 
provoking and get provoked by an, another uh, uh, colleague of mine where we're discussing about the, the collapse of time and space that virtual reality creates. And although the thesis is like, there is a, a collapse in, uh, in time and space, uh, if you think about it, is space that gets collapsed. collapsed. Uh, time gets extended. When space collapses, time gets exp expanded to infinity. And when you make this connection, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, we're not, we're not collapsing time and space in the metaverse or in virtual reality or augmented reality. What we're doing is actually collapsing space and extending time to infinity. You're like, oh, we need to uh, be far more efficient here because uh, they, in order to create a value proposition and uh, ROIs, return of investment, why are we doing this metaverse? Why are we meeting in virtual uh, environments? So why, 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 why? Uh, to have a factor of productivity X. Therefore, you say, yeah, I am in a physical environment. Now I choose to jump into this uh, virtual one in order to accelerate doing something and claiming back time, value out of that. Otherwise, um, the thesis will be uh, expanding our time in a very, um, uh, without understanding that you're still going to have 24 hours day. I don't know if that makes uh, sense, but what I mean is like, if you enter the metaverse and you exit eight hours later without producing significant amount of value that claims back uh, your time, your uh, freedom, um, um, your productivity, whatever it is, uh, you just lost in space and time, <laughs> not Actually, utilizing the technology in order to, to produce new value. Just to make sure that I understand correctly, what do you mean by collapsing of space due to this, this technology? Collapsing of space, uh, you've heard, uh, um, have you heard that uh, before the collapse of uh, time and space? I can't be there with you. What you were saying before, it's like we share a virtual environment and then I have a strong sense of uh, presence informed by the illusion of space and possibility. So I feel like I have been there with you. The notion of there is like, yeah, I can be there everywhere. So virtual reality, particularly, uh, creates this uh, collapse of, of space because there is fluidity in space. We can incubate every space we want at any time we want. The only thing is like, because we can, we can do that, uh, it actually expands the time that we are going to, to spend in this medium. It's, it's not collapsing the time. So uh, we're going in that space and in five minutes, we have what we will get in a physical space in an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you mean the collapsing of the limitations of physical space? Correct. Right, okay, I see. And that comes with expansion of time. Right. You don't contract time, you're expanding it. Marisa, what do you, what do you think? I am I'm of the same uh, opinion that everything is part of you know the real world. I mean if you ask a philosopher probably you'd get a different uh, opinion about what is real what is not real. Um, but let's not go there now. Um 
I I think that I see that the right now don't know how this will uh, of course um, develop uh, that I can see let's say myself using uh, the metaverse as something that I will use to do something and then you know, um, move, as you said before, between worlds. So in the same way that I open a Zoom uh, meeting right now to meet with you three, with, with you two, um, I can just like wear a headset and, and, you know, and do something and then take out headset and continue my day. So I think that uh, the uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, like, narratives to, to use this word like that that we will be actually kind of living and i think this was also meta's um underlying narrative when they uh, presented it that we this is going to be like the new world we're going to be living we're going to be plugged in there and i don't i don't just see this to be possible uh i i don't know that like you know how this will happen but in terms of to answer your question of whether that's you know is real or is not real this could be part of the real world as as web is right now uh, there's not going to be much difference. And yes, of course, uh, uh, interactions in VR, for example, or AR, I have had AR meetings with the HoloLenses on. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, I mean, obviously the graphics were not uh, you know, as good as, as in a VR, but, but it was so real because I could see the other person in my living room and we were yeah. all looking at the same thing and working on, on a maquette. And that was so amazing, <laughs> surreal at the same time, but very amazing to be able to have such meetings. Um, after the end of the meeting, I took off my headset and go, when I make some coffee, you know, it's, um, there is no, like, it's blurring. It's blurring completely, blurred blur boundaries. So, and I think for, for the, oh, sorry, well, I think for the listeners, it's also important that we sort of maybe agree on, on where the metaverse is, uh, because if we think it's mostly virtual and digital and somewhere on a, a network, and so you you shift from the physical world to a virtual world, uh, that's one approach that is more like a 90s uh, cyberspace, Neil Stephenson and metaverse uh, perspective. Uh, but I think recently, of course, we're, we're and the podcast is also called Mixed Reality, we're, we're mixing these layers of analog and digital information. And I think with the metaverse, the internet in a way becomes spatialized and that means basically that that those spaces whether they're virtual or physical can be in different places or they can be mixed in all sorts of different degrees of mediated mixes um, so I think indeed, Marisa, what you're saying is, is important, I think, also for the listeners that the metaverse is not an exclusive parallel universe elsewhere that is digital and virtual. Um, I think it's going to be present in our daily lives, not by wearing headsets and being in our matrix bubbles. Uh, it's going to be present uh, as, as mobile phones are present uh, and, and pervasive and all the screens that inhabit our spaces are, are already there. Um, so and then, of course, course, you can shift uh, in the degree of immersion between the virtual and the real basis on, you know, uh, headsets that are not doing one or the other, but just shift between one, you know, different degrees of, of mixes. And this is, I think, more near future uh, by now uh, than most people think. It is so interesting that so many people talk about the metaverse as if it's going to happen, including Zuckerberg, that is announcing something that is already there. Uh, I mean, people, there's 30,000 people in VR chat every day, but there's also people using all sorts of augmented ways of, of negotiating spaces and, and working together. So uh, obviously it's already here. Um, I think what is an important question to ask is 
who's in control over these spaces? How are we in control over these spaces? Uh, and, and, and who is in the end um, equipped and allowed uh, to design these spaces? Um, and this is, of course, something that I think from a designing uh, uh, um, uh, perspective is not about the tools that are provided through companies and other institutes for us to use as consumers. I think it's very important that we start thinking about uh, the tools that we need to build our own spaces, um, because obviously we don't want Meta to build the, the the places that we live and work and and have like like uh, Fengalis were saying already having meaningful interactions with because obviously that's not their agenda. It would be great to know their agenda. You know, it, from not a crazy curiosity, but from the fundamentals understanding what is the return of investment? Why, uh, for example, Meta is investing $10 billion in 2022 alone to do that. Yeah. What do they have in mind? What are the business fundamentals? So we understand. You know, it's like, it's very clear why NVIDIA, for example, is jumping in the metaverse. (laughs) Because you have to render all these things and they are in the rendering business. Great. Uh, if uh, Facebook is in harvesting personal information and uh, using um, knowledge representations of the individual, of collectives, of this and that, and um, with a, a, a front face uh, window shop being we selling advertisement, but a backend um, dungeon to be like, no, we're actually manipulating uh, all kinds of groups, individuals, and all that towards results, you know? So if your result is to um, uh, increase your sales, it's advertisement. If it's to uh, get into office, it's politics. Uh, We need to know what is the next frontier in that business model. Because from my perspective, and having developed numerous um, uh, projects and products in medic in the medical setting, I can. I know the power of the medium. Tremendous power um, to create synthesized environments that are hundred percent controlled. So your reaction time, your uh, behavior within every environment and every queue that me as a designer put there in, on purpose can be analyzed and mean something. So if you know and you have this power and you exercise this power for good, you're certain that it can be exercised for not good. And that not good is not necessarily um, uh, something evil. It's just that it's purposeless. It doesn't get us into a better place. And that's where I think it goes through back to the ethics and values and all that. What is the the ethics and the values that drive uh, Meta uh, developing the the Metaverse? Yes, I agree. And I think it's it's very interesting that this, I mean, I think most people know this To, to a lesser or larger degree. They understand that the agenda of Meta is not to provide a meaningful interaction between people, but just to get you hooked and, and misguided, so you stay on the platform as long as possible so they can suck all the data out of you. Uh, 
And actually, it's not about conscious choice whatsoever. This is why VR headsets need to have eye tracking so they can look at, you know, how your iris or pupil widens because then again, they can look straight in your soul. You don't have to do anything. They, they, they know, they, they know before you, you know, right? Yeah. So, so obvious, I mean, people know this. It's uh, People are not stupid or most people do uh, know this. Still, also in culture, in governments, they start using these tools. They keep using these tools. And that is what is, for me, uh, being quite a naive person, is still something I cannot fully grasp or understand. If you know ethically that a platform has an agenda that is not for the good of people, uh, and your organization is actually there for the good of people, why on earth do you allow and choose to continue to use these tools? That's a very good question. And that drives a lot of us to quit using these tools. Uh, but that drives also the despair of uh, a Facebook to become meta. Because <clears throat> in other discussions, when people were saying, oh, they, they are going to control, they are going to do, they're going to manipulate or whatever, uh, as if they have the power. At some point, you can bring some other narratives that uh, how about the losing power? How about uh, Facebook understood that it's the end of it? Therefore, a, a mutation of the business model, a mutation, a, a cover-up, a reform, a rebrand, whatever was necessary. I say, you know, out of despair, why you, you see power in the transition of uh, Facebook to Meta and don't see despair and failure? You know, the same way about another example was Magic Leap. They accumulate tremendous capital, 1.5 billion and all that. I was saying the fundamentals are not there. The fundamentals are not there. And uh, investors were putting money. People were thinking that augmented uh, reality just around the corner for the consumer. And finally, just the collapse. So, you know, it, 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 spatial computing is here to stay. Spatial web is here to stay. The web is here to stay. Uh, Metas and Facebooks and Zuckerbergs can come and go. Um, there's no question about that, uh, but it would be good to have a little bit more transparency over the, the fundamental businesses that each one represents um, and clarity and asking the, the right questions. Uh, I see all these interviews of uh, Zuckerberg, I see all this writing and all that, but the, at least what I feel the important questions are not being asked. To connect to my previous point, if I can I work in the metaverse? Yes, I can. Should I? Okay, let's talk about the fundamentals here. What is the fundamental of working? It's to produce the the work labor. So if you convince me that if I work at the metaverse gives me a two to one ratio in productivity, I'll think about it because I'll work four hours and get paid for eight because I, I produce work labor of eight. But if you tell me that it's one-to-one -one and I have uh, to work in the, the metaverse eight hours to produce eight hours of, uh, of work, then why to do it? What is the return of investment in productivity? It is a possible future though, isn't it? it correct. 
but that's where the ethics uh, yeah. uh, yeah. come in. And they're like, okay, what va- what values? What is the stack of filters? As no. I ask the, the question, uh, can I do this? Yes, I can, but should I? Mm. But I thought also, um, because of course, I've been trying within my institute to start a conversation. Why are we investing money in uh, Oculus headsets? And why don't we buy, or at least consider buying, uh, other headsets that are also run by companies, but ma- might not have a thorough agenda like like Meta has. Um, why don't we invest more in uh, Kickstarter campaigns, in in sponsoring open source and open uh, 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 open uh, uh, systems, open standards, open systems. open standards, open, open systems. Standards, yeah. Why we as a knowledge institute spend more money in in having Patreon type of initiatives being sponsored by us instead of pouring all our money in this consumer and and also software, you know, like ready-made software of the big conglomerates that determine what it is that we can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And and the answer uh, is is often not only money. It's 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 it it to me. But maybe I don't know. I've I haven't asked enough. But it seems to be almost some sort of this is just how it is kind of answer. It it is not. It's not re- really. I mean, it's not. Right. I mean, we're we're. I mean, we're a very rich country. The Netherlands is is stupendously rich country. So money with us is not really. Not really the issue. Like in other countries, you could say, you know, look, yeah, we, we save money to go for, because of it. Yeah, we need to go for the cheapest because there's hardly any budget to do this. Uh, within, within the Netherlands, that's not necessarily true. Um, I wouldn't call it lazy because we are valuing open open standards. We have a strong government. We really uh, we're, we're strong on privacy and policy and things like that. Uh, we have the idea of commons embedded in our our culture because otherwise, basically, we disappear under the sea level. So right. so you know we we have an awareness of the collective, and still we're all like yeah yeah indeed it's terrible and then just continue buying it. Is it also like ease of use and pervasiveness of these tools, these platforms? Yes. It's uh, also, uh, and this, I think, will play a big role now when we're talking about an open metaverse where people will be, you know, um, like citizens can just create things, right? Where am I going with very little knowledge of programming or these technologies? Where am I going to go to go and create this content? We, yes. am I, I'm going to find something that's super easy to use that other people are using that has a big community and then I can have access to and it's cheap. Yeah. So I'm thinking from the perspective of the, the actual public, you know, or, or artists, you know, people who don't have a lot of time access to money, um, like, you know, uh, in the industry does and academic institutions, not like not all of them, <laughs> but uh, we, we also, you know, in academia, we're not very rich. Um, but, you know, people who are actually don't have access to all of this, where are they going to look for? The big corporations that, that are in this, that are operating in this space. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, Mozilla Hubs uh, uh, has been developed and it has spoke as a, as a web-based XR yeah, that's development true. tool that is completely open sourced uh, has really been built with for the sole purpose of people to build their own spaces and and have meaningful experiences. Uh, so it is possible. Mm-hmm. It is more about how much support do they actually get. 
and yeah. how much awareness is there in these exactly. institutes that we sh- it's our moral ob- obligation to support such initiatives. Yeah, I, was, I, I agree. It's about the, the amplification of uh, a singular narrative or a singular message or a singular signal. You know, it's like just because Zuckerberg mentioned metaverse, everyone's talking about metaverse. Just because Facebook bought Oculus, everyone started talking about virtual reality. But um, a lot of other narratives that might be more substantial and this and that are getting much lower in the in the chain uh, and in uh, invisibility. So the notion of the awareness of the alternative is a, a fundamental in decision making. If you don't, if your um, uh, university um, uh, colleagues don't have visibility over the alternatives, of course, we'll go with the one that is the most amplified. And yes, it's lazy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Because uh, I've seen that also from another standpoint, especially here in the United States, uh, being so much involved in the startup ecosystem and the entrepreneurial ecosystem and all that, a lot of times there is no due diligence because due diligence takes time. It's easier to throw money in without even question about it, yeah. uh, just go do the high level, whatever, rather actually doing the due diligence. But the due diligence is the one that will get us forward because it, it means that you go through the filters and you have you know, understood what is the ROIs and the KPIs and the, all the fundamentals in order to invest in X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and I think actually, Marisa, you're making a very good point that maybe ease of use uh, also resonating with a certain degree of laziness that is really coming from this idea of I want it now and it needs to work immediately kind of consumerism uh, that yeah. we have been spoon fed uh, yeah. and, and our, uh, the, the people that I teach, they, they grew up with that kind of uh, in the moment, immediate gratification kind of, kind of environment. Um, they find it hard to deal with technologies that are resisting, that are not working immediately. They just give up because yeah. there's always more and easier stuff to get. Um, so I think we, we talked about education already earlier. I think there's, there's something about when you make a decision to develop or design an experience that is supposed to be meaningful, whether it's in culture or in, uh, indeed in, in some sort of application for medical purpose or whatever, um, it, it is very interesting to also have a conversation. Are we willing to invest more time using technologies that are not easy, but in the end, in the longer term, will enable us to build whatever we want in the way we want, rather than grasp the first thing that is the easiest and the cheapest, but it's completely built not to do whatever you want, but to do exactly what it is built for. Mm. And and I think that this is uh, with Oculus and uh, and the well the the environment that is completely closed. Uh, but there's all sorts of OSs that we can point at that are completely closed. They're proprietary and they're built for sole purpose. And me being in the arts, mm-hmm. uh, you always want something that it cannot do right away. So actually, this ease of use with my students and my type of work ends up not working right away because after you connected everything, they start wanting to do 
things with it that it's not designed for because it's designed for consumers. Mm -hmm. So I think right away you want to sort of break the whole piece open and deconstruct it and sort of reconstruct it for purposes that you have in, in your mind. Uh, to begin with. So that means in a way, I think everybody involved with these technologies and, and people who want to embark uh, co-creating or helping to build meaningful spaces within the metaverse should also acknowledge and understand that it needs time, it needs skill, and it needs, in a way, a certain perseverance, <laughs> you know, yeah. to get somewhere. You cannot just build a house in a day. If you do, it's probably not very solid or it has been prefabricated uh, by a factory and it would not necessarily fit uh, your organic way of living. So, you know, um, I think there's there's something there that I notice uh, open source uh, communities uh, obviously are constantly discussing, uh, but, but for sure the, the general public will not adopt because you need to learn skills, you need to spend time, you need to move through a lot of things that don't work uh, and, and because they're constantly updated, also keep not working <laughs> in yeah, many yeah. ways, you know. And, and, um, and, that's, um, and that's also a point of tension because the general public will also need to have access to things that are free or, or cheap. Uh, if we're talking about uh, um, mass uh, content creation. Um, and, it, and it has to be like that because if we're talking about an accessible metaverse, we need to talk about accessible tools for content creation as well. Yes. Uh, and of course, tools that are not proprietary and they don't gather your data and you're not paying them in a free tools that you're not paying them in any other way. Um, it, and I think, I think people will um, prefer that even if, they're not very easy to use necessarily to start with. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I hope maybe, I don't know, but there, because there is this op new opportunity uh, and, and a lot of, because we are working in the digital for so long and we have generations now that have been born in the digital world. It's not going to be like with the development of web 2.0, right? Because now we have many more people who understand in all across generations about these tools uh, and will want to participate and contribute to this new uh, web era, right? So we have like all these content creators for Snapchat, for example, like a huge community, if we take the, you know, the culture point. Um, a lot of people, I think now have uh, I, I know from my personal network um, uh, received some funding to create for the metaverse from Meta because they're looking at people in across Europe now to European uh, designers, artists, and creators. Um, and there's a lot of people who have gone for that, for, you know, for this fund. And I think there's a lot of from the general population, artists, designers, even the the public, like because Snapchat creators, they they were not like trained designers or anything. Uh, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of more people contributing to this new uh, space. And I'm hopeful that we have the opportunity to shape it accordingly because exactly because of that. Okay, so <laughs> I didn't have a question in the end, sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, this was the funny end of part one. For part two, stay tuned, it will be released in two weeks time, together with some final thoughts from me. Until then, thank you for listening.